0: On episode 147 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, our special guest is the voice of the Cincinnati Bengals and UC Bearcats football men's basketball, Dan Hoare. We'll talk cats, Bengals, Cincinnati, and more. Welcome to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. This is a weekly podcast covering all sports in Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio. From Lima to the Ohio River and northern Kentucky, from eastern Indiana to Madison County and all points in between, this is your source of local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports. Visit the slash podcasts to find your favorite podcasting platform. Music created with the Splash app. Time for another episode with your host, Lee W. Mowen. Before we begin episode 147, I'd like to point out there is an episode of the Pardon the Punctuation podcast, which also covers Cincinnati sports. They do a very nice job. They also have a very nice interview with Dan Hoard. I do my best not to duplicate anything on that episode again go find that episode on pardon the punctuation and now my interview with dan horde and on the podcast is dan horde the voice of the cincinnati Bengals and uc bearcats dan how are you this afternoon
1: lee i'm doing well thanks for having me on look forward to chatting
0: thank you for being a part of this podcast like i mentioned before the recording you're one of my favorite broadcasters to listen to in the fall and the winter
1: I appreciate that. Those are kind words, and uh, well, I'll try to live up to it on your podcast. Oh. Let's begin. Where
0: are you originally from?
1: I grew up in Lakewood, New York, which is a small town on the very southwest tip of New York State, so when you say that you're from New York, people outside of New York instantly think of New York City, but I grew up in a rural environment, so we had three acres and two barns on my property, and I actually lived... Closer to Cincinnati uh, than to New York City. It's about a six-hour drive from Cincinnati, and it's more than a 10-hour drive to get to New York City. So if you picture Buffalo and then just go straight south, that's where I grew up.
0: It's crazy to think that you can be close closer to Cincinnati than the Big Apple in New York State.
1: I know it. We didn't get to New York City very often when I was a kid. I was a Mets fan. My brother was a Yankees fan. So we would occasionally make it to the Big Apple in the summer uh, to see baseball games and for my sisters to shop and go to Broadway and things like that. But that was a real treat. That was not something we did on a regular basis.
0: Very cool. When did you know that you wanted to be a broadcaster?
1: From birth. And that's only a slight exaggeration. I joke that when the doctor pulled me out of my mother's womb, he slapped me on the behind and a little infant Dan Hort said that's 15 yards for unnecessary. Roughness. <laughs> so uh, I-, I knew it's my earliest memories really are of wanting to be a sports broadcaster. I'm not sure why I gravitated toward it. Uh, My biological dad, my parents got divorced when I was young, but my biological dad was an upholsterer. My stepfather, who really raised me, was a florist. Uh, But for whatever reason, I knew at a very, very early age that I wanted to get into sports broadcasting. So I started turning down the sound on the TV and practicing into into a tape recorder when I was really young. And thankfully, it worked out because I'm not qualified to do anything else. Who were
0: some of your favorite voices you heard? in your childhood.
1: My favorite was actually a legendary broadcaster from Buffalo named Van Miller. Van was the voice of the Buffalo Bills for more than 40 years. He's the only local radio NFL play-by-play announcer in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton. Uh you will you would have heard his voice if you've watched NFL films <laughs> over the last 30 or 40 years during the great Buffalo Bills Super Bowl run of When they went to four straight Super Bowls in the early 90s, he was the guy making all those great calls with Jim Kelly and Andre Reid, Thurman Thomas, et cetera. Uh, But he was more than the voice of the Bills. He was a local TV sportscaster on the CBS station, so you would see him on the 6 and 11 o'clock news every night. He was the voice of the Buffalo Braves, which was an NBA franchise in the 1970s. They eventually moved to the West Coast and became the Clippers, uh, but we had nba basketball when i was a kid growing up in the 70s in buffalo and he did those games so basically any sporting event that you turned on other than the sabers Dan Miller was associated with it and he was tremendous so he was the sportscaster of my youth
0: the voice of buffalo too that's a lot of sports and territory to cover that's that's outstanding
1: so and he was great he even did a weekly high school quiz bowl show it was called it's academic where there would be three local high schools that would come in and compete on an academic quiz basically and i tried to be on that show just in hopes of meeting van miller so that was uh, his impact on my childhood that's really
0: cool and i miss our academic show that we had in dayton i don't think it's on anymore but when did you get from southwest new york to cincinnati
1: Well, I attended Syracuse University, which has a well-known communication school, the Newhouse School of Public Communications, and it's kind of unofficially known as Sportscaster U Mm -hmm. because of all of the famous sports announcers that went to Syracuse. So after I went to school, I worked in Syracuse for a few years. I started out working at a local radio station where I met my then-girlfriend, now-wife, Peg. She also attended Syracuse and, and got into broadcasting. Uh, when her college days were over so after we dated for a few years she got a job working for channel 12 in cincinnati i was working in syracuse she was working in cincinnati and i started looking for jobs in cincinnati as a result and eventually got hired at fox 19 uh to be on their 10 o'clock news and to broadcast the uc sporting events that they had at that time so it was really uh my, my wife's fault or credit, depending on how you look at it, uh, that I wound up in Cincinnati.
0: What was the first go-round in Cincinnati like for you with Fox 19?
1: Well, I was lucky to join Fox 19 when I did, uh, because they had the contract to broadcast any UC basketball game that was not on national TV. The rules were a little bit different back then. So that meant a lot of local telecasts on Fox 19, we would do anywhere from 12 to 15 games a year. And while we didn't get the very best games, they were on national TV. We did get some really, really good games, both home and away. And when I got there, Cincinnati was ranked number one in the country. And I did the games on Fox 19, Kenyon Martin senior year. Uh, when they would have won the national championship, in my opinion, if he didn't break his leg in the conference tournament. So my timing for uh, doing those games on Fox 19 was extremely uh, fortunate. I I got to see some great Bearcat basketball, and that eventually led to me becoming the radio voice of the team.
0: It's a little bit sad nowadays that there's not as many or any local televised games like that. Because I know in the Dayton area, we used to have uh, Dayton Flyers on Channel 7, And nowadays, it's really no such thing.
1: Yeah, I think it's sad for a couple of reasons. Number one, that was an over-the-air TV package. So for people that didn't have cable, which back then was probably a significant number, uh, they were able to see a lot of uh, the UC basketball games on over-the-air TV. I think access to cable, whether you have it at home or can get it on your computer or go to a local sports bar, that's... uh, pretty universal now, but I I do think there's something to be said for a local TV package because the announcers get to know the team so well, and and I think you don't get the same stories over and over again like you might from different national broadcasters because the local announcers tell a story, and then the next game they tell a different story, and the game after that they tell a different story. So I think you probably get uh, a variety of information. If you have the same announcer for multiple games than you do by having a different crew Uh, every single game, they're more likely to tell the same stories over and over again. Although,
0: one nice thing is with so many platforms going online, you don't have to be locked in the Cincinnati area to be able to watch Bearcats basketball.
1: Yeah, that's true. And a Bearcat fan living anywhere in the country or world now can see a significant portion of the schedule, if not all of it, on their TV or on their computer. So that part definitely is good.
0: From 1995 onwards to now, what's changed in Cincinnati and at UC?
1: Well, at UC, the campus itself, you wouldn't recognize it from when I first got there to what it looks like now. They've done an unbelievable job both on the academic side and the, and the athletic side. But just looking in terms of athletics, they pumped $85 million into Nippert Stadium, then turned around and pumped eighty six into Fifth Third Arena, and they have two places on-campus facilities in the country. And they needed to do that. You need to have top-notch facilities to compete in college sports. And uh, they were willing to do what it took to keep Cincinnati – As competitive as can possibly be of being outside of one of the power five conferences.
0: And I don't think anyone back in the day would think, Hey, you know what goo good in Nippert stadium, a pro soccer team.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It thrived at Nippert stadium. And that was a big reason why uh, FC Cincinnati was able to move into the MLS attendance was so great. And the fan experience was so great at Nippert stadium that it really helped elevate that franchise. And uh, when FC Cincinnati announced plans to, to build its own stadium, I was a, li- a little uh, reluctant at first. Uh, we've been season ticket holders from the beginning uh, for FC Cincinnati at Nippert Stadium, and I think it's a great experience. But the more I looked into it, the more I talked to people, the more I realized that they would have never been able to get into the MLS if they didn't commit to building their own facility.
0: And I think West End Stadium is going to be beautiful. But just the way Nippert Stadium filled up for FC Cincinnati, it's, it's outstanding.
1: Yeah, it's really a great venue for soccer, as it turned out. And the fact that you already had the infrastructure of a college campus with plenty of places nearby to go for a bite to eat or a beer before or after the match, I think really made it a great fit for a franchise trying to get off the ground and trying to appeal to as many people as possible.
0: Also, Nippert turns out to be a pretty good venue for college football, too, especially the Bearcats on the up and up,
1: especially the renovated Nippert Stadium. Uh, I think it's a really special place. And the more people that I talk to that come in and see it for the first time, whether it's broadcasters from other schools or fans from other schools, they are stunned by just how special it is, Uh, sunken in right to the middle of the campus uh, with a very small footprint. So it's a very intimate environment. It's been compared to uh, Wrigley Field, uh, kind of the Wrigley Field of college football. And I think that's an, an apt comparison.
0: And Fifth Third Arena is beautiful and yet still holds the historic feel that it's always had about UC basketball. And I was lucky enough to to announce a UC volleyball match, and I got to see some of the changes. It's it's quite a beautiful venue.
1: I think it's unbelievable. I knew when they announced plans to renovate that it was going to be great, but I had no idea it would turn out as well as it did. Uh, Eighty-six million dollars goes a long way, as it turns <laughs> out. Who knew? <laughs> but uh, I, I really think it's one of the nicest on-campus facilities in the country, and it's perfectly sized. Twelve thousand is big enough. Uh, but not too big where you feel like you're you're too far away to really enjoy the action. I just think it's a tremendous uh, environment for Bearcat basketball.
0: Now, you call football and men's basketball for UC. Are there any other sports that you'd like to have a shot at broadcasting on campus?
1: Uh, well, I... I I wouldn't necessarily say on campus. Uh, I have done a lot of baseball broadcasting in the past and I miss doing baseball. If I could get uh, the opportunity to do a little bit of baseball somewhere, I would welcome that. Uh, But I'm not complaining with the schedule I have now. It's really busy in the fall, which is great. I love doing basketball in the winter. And I suppose it's not bad to have a little bit of time off uh, when my son is out of school in the summer. So I've got it pretty good and and I'm really grateful to have the jobs that I have.
0: What's your thoughts about men's soccer being discontinued?
1: Well, I'm sad. I'm sad for the students that were already at Cincinnati anticipating having a full college career and playing for the Bearcats in that sport. Uh, I'm sad for the alums that did so much to build a great program and, uh, build a a legacy of some outstanding teams and individuals over the years at the University of Cincinnati. But I also understand the realities. Unfortunately, right now you've got a big divide in college athletics between the so-called power five schools and everybody else. And what the power five really is, is the money five. Mm -hmm. It's not that they're more powerful. It's not that their teams are better. It's that their TV contracts are better. So they get so much more money annually from TV than the schools outside of those conferences, that it's hard to compete. You have to spend as much, uh, particularly in football and men's basketball, in terms of what you pay your coaches, how you travel, how you recruit. Uh, So those are very hefty bills to pay, but you don't have the TV money coming in that makes it easy to pay those bills. So unfortunately, you have to take a really hard look at uh, what you're doing with your entire athletic department and at Cincinnati unfortunately they had to make the the difficult decision to no longer field a team in men's soccer
0: it is a sad situation Uh, at Wright State UC and uh, the Raiders were always a great series to announce and I'll miss that but I understand that it's 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 sad it's it's but it's business too so
1: it is. And, you know, I'll remain hopeful that Cincinnati at some point will be in one of those money conferences. I think the next time that there's realignment, uh, whatever that turns out to be, I think Cincinnati stands a very good chance of being plucked uh, by one of the leagues that is pulling in those huge TV dollars. And if and when that happens, maybe they will have the uh, financial wherewithal to bring back men's soccer. I would never rule that out.
0: If you were in charge of getting UC to one of the big conferences, which one would you pick?
1: Well, ideally the Big Ten, but that's I don't think that's realistic because I don't think Ohio State would ever allow it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can't be. Too picky (laughs) when you're on the outside looking in. You go wherever there's a vacancy and wherever you are wanted. I think the ACC would be a tremendous fit because you have natural rivals in that league like Louisville and Pittsburgh. Uh, The Big 12 is the one that's probably the most realistic because they have 10 schools in a team that are in a league that's named the big 12. So at some point you would think that, that maybe they would get back to having 12 or even more than that. Uh, but, again, if there's an opening at any point in any of those leagues, you jump just to have the opportunity to, to bring in those huge TV dollars.
0: Let's swing back over to football, men's basketball. What were your takes on two very successful seasons?
1: Well, in terms of football, uh, they've won 11 games in each of the last two years, which I didn't see coming. Uh, The the program had really dipped toward the end of the Tommy Tuberville era, and Coach Fickle came in and uh, changed the culture. And in his first year, they still only won four games. So I thought it was going to take a little while. I thought he would ultimately do a really good job. But I had no idea that they would be able to go from four wins in his first year to 11 in year two and 11 again in year three. So he's managed to build a powerhouse program in the American athletic conference. And I don't see it dipping uh, based on the recruiting classes that he's pulling in. He's doing an incredible job in recruiting and this upcoming season should be really, really strong for Cincinnati in football. And then in basketball, John Brandon did a phenomenal job in uh, taking over for Mick Cronin, dealing with some player turnover bringing in some guys uh, in the short term that could help and winding up sharing the regular season title in the American Athletic Conference and being the number one seed in the conference tournament and unfortunately was not played. But uh, I think the future is really bright for both programs and it was certainly enjoyable for me to call their games this past year.
0: And that's going to be a really nice job for John Brennan. I mean, coming over from Northern Kentucky, just to swing across the bridge. That's the, that's a perfect uh, promotion, but yeah.
1: Yeah. Really unique situation for him. I can't think of anything like it in college sports where he could have stayed in the same house uh, if he wanted to, Uh, they elected to move uh, not far away from where they had been. Uh, But it was really unique. Uh, And, you know, he already had a, uh, a reputation for being a great coach based on what he had done at NKU. I think locally fans were familiar with that. And then he he took right over at UC and kept the ball rolling.
0: On the football side, four Bearcats were, uh, well, there was one that was drafted and three that were signed as undrafted free agents. Uh, We'll start with the lone draftee for UC and Josiah Degara.
1: Yeah, Josiah DeGuar, a third-round draft pick by the Green Bay Packers, which was higher than he was anticipated to go. I think if you looked at the magazines and the websites prior to the draft, most people were saying fifth round, maybe fourth or maybe even sixth. Instead, he went in a third to the Green Bay Packers. And I think he is going to justify being taken that high. I, I think the thing that Green Bay recognized that maybe the rest of the NFL didn't is just how versatile – josiah can be on an nfl roster you didn't really have a fullback on its team they they didn't use that position but i think josiah is capable of playing tight end fullback h back he's like a swiss army knife on offense and i think packers coach matt lafleur recognized that and i think that's going to be the way they try to utilize him almost like kyle used to the uh, San Francisco 49ers is listed as a fullback but lines up all over the place and is a great weapon in the passing game. I think Josiah DeGora can do that for the Green Bay Packers.
0: Also signed uh, Rashad Medeiros for the Cardinals, uh, Michael Warren the second for Philadelphia, and Brian Wright for Kansas City. I saw a rumor right after the draft ended that Warren was going to be signed by the Bengals, but it didn't turn out to be true. But still, that's four great Bearcats that are getting a shot in the NFL.
1: I'm excited for those guys. I think Michael Warren would probably have the best chance of making one of those teams, although I wouldn't rule out any of the three. And there's still a couple of Bearcats out there that I'm hoping— eventually get a shot. Perry Young is going to go to the Canadian Football League. I thought that Chris Ferguson, an offensive lineman, maybe had a chance of winding up in an NFL camp, and and maybe he'll ultimately play somewhere and uh, play well enough to get a a chance at the NFL at some point, but they've been cranking out some great football players at UC in recent seasons, and they're going to have some NFL talent uh, that's definitely going to get selected in future drafts in the upcoming years.
0: And now we'll swing from UC to the Cincinnati Bengals. What were your thoughts on the past season, the first one for Zach Taylor and the 2020 draft?
1: Well, I was disappointed by only winning two games and starting 0-11 last year. But I understand it. There were eight new head coaches in the NFL last season. Seven of the eight wound up with losing records. Five of the eight did not get a win in the first four weeks of the season. So when you take over as an NFL head coach, that first year typically doesn't go well. The only exception last year was Matt Lafleur of the Packers, and obviously they had a tremendous season. But the other seven struggled. And uh, I'm bullish on Zach Taylor and his coaching staff's ability. I think they're a really smart group of young guys with the ability to connect with players. And I think we're going to see that in the years to come. And if the end result of having a really bad first season was the opportunity to draft somebody like Joe Burrow and hopefully have an elite quarterback for the next 10 years or so, uh, then I think we'll look back at a, a tough first season and think it was worth it.
0: And I really like the Bengals draft this year. Like you mentioned, Joe Burrow, number one pick and T Higgins right after that in the second round. That's a pretty nice duo.
1: That's a great one-two punch. I think they'll be working together for a long time in Cincinnati, much like Andy Dalton and A.J. Green did. And the other thing they got done in the draft was add three linebackers, which was their biggest position of need. And I, I'm not sure which of the three guys is going to materialize as the best, As the best, but I do think when you look at Logan Wilson, Akeem G- Davis Gaither, and uh, Marcus Bailey out of Purdue that at least one of the three is going to turn out to be an excellent NFL linebacker. And in this day and age, you generally only play two linebackers. Now it's, it's not like it used to be. Usually now you have five defensive backs and two linebackers on the field. And uh, if out of those three, they wind up with at least one really good NFL linebacker, they will have gone a long way toward fixing their biggest uh, area of need.
0: And something you tweeted after the draft, the Bengals' seven picks, six of those were captains of their football squad.
1: That's correct, and the only one of the seven draft picks that was not a captain was T. Higgins, and he left Clemson with one year of eligibility left. So had he stayed for his senior year, I think there's probably a pretty good chance that he would have been a captain. Uh, The Bengals made the point after the draft that they weren't just trying to take good guys, nice guys. Uh, They didn't take... These guys, strictly because they are captains, they took them mostly because they're great football players. But if you combine uh, being a great football player with being a great leader, that's what you're looking for. And I think uh, hopefully they succeeded with this year's draft.
0: Dan, what is it like to be the voice of an NFL team?
1: It's the dream of a lifetime. When I was a kid, my ambition was to become a Major League Baseball play-by-play announcer. And it didn't play out that way, but I am a major league announcer in a different sport. And I I realize how lucky I am. There are only 32 people that have that job, being the radio play-by-play announcer for an NFL team. And when you think of it in those terms, it's like becoming a player. Uh, Not that I have to uh, work as hard or have the skills that those guys have, but just in terms of how unlikely it is, Uh, to want to be a sports announcer growing up in a tiny town south of Buffalo and eventually getting the opportunity to be behind the mic for an NFL franchise. Uh, I'm incredibly lucky that it played out that way, and I'm grateful every day.
0: What are some of your favorite moments calling Bengals games?
1: boy there have been a lot Uh, I was hired in 2011 and they went to the playoffs each of my first five years so my timing was really good uh, for for being hired by the team I guess if I had to pick a game off the top of my head the first one that would come to mind would be the next to last game of my second season 2012 December 23rd in Pittsburgh Uh, if the Bengals won they would clinch a playoff berth and knocked the Steelers out of the playoffs on their home field. And that's the way it played out. Reggie Nelson intercepted a Ben Roethlisberger a pass near the 50-yard line with less than a minute to go. And then on the next play, Andy Dalton completed a pass to A.J. Green that set up Josh Brown's game-winning field goal, again to uh, propel the Bengals into the playoffs two days before Christmas and knock their hated rival out of the playoffs at Heinz Field. That was a, a heck of a game. It's the most physical game I've ever seen in my life, and that's the first one that immediately comes to mind.
0: I mean, getting to do that at Heinz Field, too, that's that's huge. But those teams, those are great teams, and I know people are going to say, oh, yeah, but they lost in the first round of the playoffs. But at the same time, they're still great teams, and it was good football being played in Cincy.
1: Tremendous football. They average more than 10 wins a year during that five-year run, uh, won the division a couple of times in the most competitive division in football. It, it's hard to finish ahead of Pittsburgh or Baltimore, much less both in a given season. And in terms of not being able to win a playoff game, that is disappointing. I know how bitterly disappointing it is for Mike Brown and, and for the front office and for the coaching staff and the players. But I honestly think that it's more difficult to go to the playoffs five straight years than it is to win a single playoff game. I mean, you can be good one year, win a playoff game, and, and that's a very successful season. But to put together a string of five straight years where you go to the playoffs in the AFC North, that is really, really hard to do. It's almost like people slamming the Buffalo Bills for losing the Super Bowl four straight times well it's so difficult to get there once much less four times in a row that's an unbelievable achievement and probably a greater achievement than winning one super bowl as much as you'd like to have a lombardi trophy in the trophy case
0: let me ask you and i think i know the answer to this already most heartbreaking moment as the voice of the Bengals.
1: You do know it already. <laughs> it was a 2015 playoff loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. If you go back to the end of that game, they trailed 15-0 going to the fourth quarter. They rallied with A.J. McCarron at quarterback and, and took a one-point lead. And then Vontez perfect intercepted Landry Jones with about a minute and a half to go. And in everybody's mind, it was over. The streak was over. The Bengals had won a playoff game for the first time since the 1990 season. They had ended their their streak of consecutive playoff losses. They had given Marvin Lewis his first playoff win after six playoff losses. uh, And they had done it against their hated rival under brutal weather conditions at Paul Brown Stadium. So we had this euphoria of it's over. We've done it. We've won. And then on the very next play, less than two minutes later in real time, Jeremy Hill fumbled, giving the ball back to the Steelers. Ben Roethlisberger heroically came back into the game when no one expected that he would be able to. And with the help of a couple of costly penalties, marched the Steelers down the field to kick the game-winning field goal. So the circumstances were brutal. It was a total collapse in the final 90 seconds of that game. And uh, that was definitely a game where when I got home that night, I stared at the ceiling. As uh, Dave Lapham describes it, you, you stare at the ceiling and replay the game like you're watching a home movie of the ceiling of your bedroom. And it was like it that night. I don't think I, I got much sleep as I just thought back to all of the things that happened down the street where if any of them did not happen, the Bengals would have won the game.
0: And you mentioned A.J. McCarron, too, because I think that was the year Andy Dalton broke his thumb. And
1: That's correct. They started 8-0. They were 10-2 and at the time when Andy broke his thumb. He had a passer rating over 106 uh, to lead the AFC and was a, at least an outside candidate to be the MVP of the NFL that year. And A.J. McCarron came in and he did a solid job. Now, they they scored about seven fewer points per game when A.J. was the quarterback compared to when Andy was the quarterback. So the offense wasn't as good. But all things considered, he did a really good job and he did his job in that playoff game. He had them in the position to win. And unfortunately, the fumble and then the penalties cost them that game.
0: That was a tough, tough playoff game. But the future is bright with Cincinnati. I'm looking forward to seeing what 2020 has to offer. If we get that season, that is, thanks to the coronavirus. Which, I, now that I mention it, I'll ask, how has the coronavirus affected your jobs?
1: well i didn't get the opportunity to broadcast ncaa tournament games at the university of cincinnati this year and from a selfish perspective uh that stunk it's it's one of the best things that i get to do and i've been very lucky to to work for a school that's been it's the last nine years and i think they would have made it for the 10th year in a row and that's a wonderful event as a fan or as a broadcaster to see every year i don't think Uh, there's much better in sports than that three week run of the NCAA and so I miss that Uh, but at that point my play by play schedule winds down and I don't really do until the the NFL preseason so I haven't been missing games Uh, in recent years I've done a lot of fill-in work on the Reds pregame and postgame show on Fox Sports Ohio so any sort of fill-in work associated with the Reds whether it could have been on, on tv or radio or anything like that i would have loved to have been able to do and and i missed baseball desperately as a baseball fan uh, but in terms of my jobs this time of year is my lightest time of the year so i haven't missed out on all that much as a fan i have uh, but as a broadcaster i haven't at least not yet you mentioned
0: uc not being able to uh, get in the big dance i think this Bearcats squad would have done quite well. And this Reds team, of all the signings they did in the offseason, I think this would have been the year to get back in the playoffs. But maybe we'll have baseball in July. What's your take on that?
1: Well, I was optimistic that baseball came out with a concrete plan for resuming games with an 82-game schedule in July. And let's hope that the owners and players can work out a financial agreement to make it happen now there's still a lot of unresolved questions in uh, the announcement that baseball came out with yesterday and I think they still have problems that they have to fix but I am cautiously optimistic that we will have some form of major league baseball beginning in July and and I agree with you I think the Reds were the team to beat in their division and one of the nice things about the proposal that came out is that they would still be competing in their division for a playoff spot they would not be lumped into a a, a completely different coronavirus division uh, <laughs> with teams that are you know, based on spring training locations or anything like that. They would still be competing against the Cubs, the Brewers, the Cardinals, the Pirates uh, for a spot in the postseason. And based on what they did in the offseason, I really think they were the team to beat.
0: Now, something you've done on social media is hashtag Horde makes the call. What's that about?
1: So, when social distancing began, one of my broadcasting buddies, Josh Lewin, who is the radio voice of UCLA football and basketball, started doing something that he called play-by-play of anything at all. And these were humorous little videos where he would do the play-by-play announcing of the most mundane aspects of his life. So you can find these on YouTube. Again, he called it play-by-play of anything at all. And he would describe things like a palm tree swaying in the breeze and do a very detailed play-by-play or play-by-play of himself taking the dishes out of the dishwasher and stacking them in the cupboard. (laughs) And they were really funny. He did a great job with it. Uh, Joe Buck from Fox Sports eventually kind of took the idea and and tried to do something similar. Uh, But I think Josh Lewin did it first and, and did it better, quite honestly. So I saw that and thought that was a great idea. And then another friend of mine, Jason Bonetti, who is the TV announcer for the Chicago White Sox, and he also does a lot of college football and basketball on ESPN, he started doing something on Twitter where he basically reads letters from people. And these are not letters that are specifically sent to him, addressed to him. These are letters from one person to another person that are shared with him, And then he reads these letters on his Twitter feed, and they're phenomenal. I I know it's kind of hard to envision why that would be great, uh, but some of them are funny. Some of them break your heart. Uh, It's really an amazing thing. And so I saw what those two guys were doing, and I thought to myself, all right, what can I do during this time period that would be a little bit different from either of those ideas but hopefully would be entertaining for folks? And maybe give somebody a little bit of a keepsake. So I came up with the idea of Horde Makes the Call. And basically the concept is I want to do custom-made play-by-play for you. So if you have video of your child doing something in youth sports or in the backyard or something funny that's almost like a sporting event with your pet. I mean, it really could be just about anything send me the video on Twitter or Facebook. I'll pick one out. I'll reach out to the person that sent it and try to get as many details about the the people involved as I possibly can. And then I will do the play by play. So that is the, uh, the idea behind "Horde makes the call. I've been doing it for several weeks. Uh, You can see all of those videos on YouTube by searching for "Horde makes the call and people seem to be enjoying it. And I've had fun doing it. And, And while we are still social distancing, I plan to continue doing it as long as the videos keep rolling in.
0: Your last one at the time of this recording was a soccer one. I really liked that one. That was cool.
1: Yeah, I think that was a three-year-old girl named Audrey scoring her first ever goal. And uh, and then sprinting to high five her dad slash coach, you could see the joy in this uh, youngster's eyes. It was her first goal of her life at the age of three, so that was fun. My personal favorite uh, was a young man tying his shoe for the first time as he uh, watched a Sesame Street instructional video. I thought that one turned out especially well.
0: Oh, that's cute. I have to I have to go back and watch that after we're done here, but. Let's go back to UC and the Bengals. What are some of your favorite and least favorite stops for both those teams?
1: Well, for the Bengals, my favorite stop is Baltimore. Uh, And for a very selfish reason, it's a great broadcasting location. More and more these days, it's uh, not a priority for teams as they are designing their stadia to put the visiting radio announcer in a convenient location. So a long time ago, we used to sit close to the 50-yard line. We used to have lots of space to do our jobs, and it makes your job easier. Now, in a lot of these places, you are in a a tiny booth where I'm more or less sitting in Dave Lapham's lap. (laughs) We're we're up in the uh, upper deck in a corner somewhere, and it's just harder to do your job well. You just can't see things as well. Well, in Baltimore, that's not the case. We're close to the 50. We're pretty low. We've got lots of space. Uh, It's a great game day environment. The fans are always tremendous. They do a great job with the music and the video board and everything like that. So uh, Baltimore is at the top of my list for places that we go to regularly. In terms of doing the job, Washington's really tough. It's a tough booth. Miami is really tough. Again, a really tough booth. So nothing against the cities. They're nice places to go to if I had more time to visit. But I'm there to do a job, and the places that that make it as easy as possible to do that job well are the ones that I enjoy the most. How do you
0: do a college football game Saturday and then take off and arrive at your NFL destination on Sunday?
1: Lee, it's my own version of the amazing race. (laughs) I try, try to plan it out as well as I possibly can when the two schedules come out. Uh, spend a lot of time trying to figure out, all right, what is the safest way to get from point A to point B? And when I say safest, I don't mean safe in terms of staying alive. I mean, safest in terms of making sure that I am where I need to be on Sunday, Uh, because I I know I'll always be able to get to the the Bearcats game. I'm traveling from Cincinnati. Uh, But then I've got to get from wherever that game is to where the Bengals are on Sunday. So my my standard line is the first Bengals game that I miss because of this conflict is the last one that I'll ever be asked to do. So I've got to figure out how to guarantee that I'm going to be there. So if that means driving all night instead of depending on a Sunday morning flight, I will happily drive all night. I just want to make sure that when the, the pregame show goes on the air on Sunday, wherever the Bengals are, that uh, I'm sitting in my chair prepared and ready to go. So it's not always easy. I don't uh, always get the the sleep that uh, my body craves, Uh, (laughs) but I haven't missed a game yet, and uh, I don't plan on it as long as I'm lucky enough to to have both of these positions.
0: What's been the worst trip you've had to do so far?
1: Well, the, the most interesting trip. I won't say it's the worst because these are all Great places to be, and as long as I get there on time, uh, there's nothing bad about it. But probably the most challenging so far was a UC football road game on a Saturday afternoon at East Carolina. So that's step one, and East Carolina is in Greenville, North Carolina. And they have an airport there, but it only serves one market, Charlotte. So the Bearcats have a, a day game at East Carolina on a Saturday. The next day, the Bengals have a road game in Denver. And the day after that, the UC basketball uh, basketball team began a tournament in the Cayman Islands. Wow. So I did the UC football game on a Saturday. I caught a flight after the game to Charlotte and then caught a late night flight to Denver. So I arrived in Denver somewhere around two in the morning, Denver time. Uh, Did the Bengals-Broncos game in Denver, then later that day caught a flight to Miami that arrived at 5 in the morning, Uh, had a lengthy layover in Miami until about 11 in the morning, and then caught a flight to uh, Grand Cayman, and then later that day did a UC basketball game. So that was 5,000 travel miles uh, crisscrossing the country and, and being in different countries, uh, in order to do those games on three consecutive days. But thankfully, it all worked out. Uh, my teams won every game, as I recall. Uh, mm-hmm. Definitely, at, at least uh, the Bengals won in Denver, and the basketball team won in the Caymans. Now that I think of it, actually, the UC football team lost that game in East Carolina, now that I think back. But in any case, uh, that was quite an adventure. It worked out well. And uh, that that's probably the craziest Series of uh travel over the course of three days that I've had so far
0: five thousand miles of travel, I think that makes me tired, just hearing that,
1: yeah, and going uh various time zones, you know, flying from the East Coast out to Colorado and then coming back to the East Coast and then flying to the Caymans. that was quite an adventure
0: now, I bet the best trips are when the bearcats and Bengals are at home, I mean easy, peasy.
1: That uh, is nice. It happens a few times a year, and it's nice to be able to sleep in my own bed on a Saturday night, no question.
0: What is prep like for, you know, Bearcats and Bengals football season?
1: I compare it to uh, studying for two final exams a week. Um, it's, It's helpful that I do... UC and the Bengals every week. So my homework for those two teams is easier because obviously I know the players and their numbers and and all of that information very early in the season. But I do have to learn uh, two new teams per week and it requires a lot of homework. So uh, it took a while for me to figure out what I needed to do during the course of the week and when I needed to do it in order to properly prepare. But I've got a pretty rigid schedule that I've worked out and uh by game day on Saturday I'm I'm ready to go. You mentioned a while
0: back about Dave Lapham and it takes me to this question. You work with some amazing color commentators, uh, like Dave Lapham. And can you just describe how nice it is to have that vast amount of knowledge on both UC and Bengals broadcasts?
1: Well, as a broadcaster it's great. Um you're only as good as your analyst. And I've been lucky to work with phenomenal analysts at UC for both football and basketball and with the Bengals. There's no better local radio analyst in the NFL than Dave Lapham. He has everything that you would want. He is incredibly knowledgeable. He's enthusiastic. He's a great communicator. He has Uh, the history of the franchise down. He's been involved for more than 40 of the 53 years. Uh, So he is the total package. And beyond that, he's become a great friend. We spend a lot of time together during the football season, uh, not only in the booth on Sunday, but doing shows together during the week, sitting next to each other in our cubicles at Paul Brown Stadium pretty much every day. Uh, So I probably spend more time with Lap during the NFL season than I spend with my family. And uh, it's a good thing that uh, we get along so well because, like I said, he's become a dear, dear friend in addition to being a great uh, broadcast partner.
0: He's also very intelligent, too. When I listen to the Bengals games on radio, I do learn a lot from Dave, and that helps me on my football broadcast as well. So I always, I always appreciate that.
1: He is. He's really smart. He got admitted to Harvard uh, but chose to go to Syracuse instead. So we both attended Syracuse about 10 years apart, uh, but he is an extremely well-read, uh, smart person on a wide variety of topics. And I think that's apparent when you listen to him, he, he not only knows his football, uh, but you can tell by his vocabulary and his, his references to, to literature and just about anything else uh, that he is a highly intelligent person.
0: I was listening to uh Pardon the puncturation episode with you in it. And I love the story about him spelling out turd. That's probably one of my favorite stories (laughs) I've ever heard. (laughs) Why'd you make me spell it? Uh, Do you have have any other stories about Dave Lapham?
1: I have a lot of stories about Dave Lapham. The great thing about Lap is that he's the best storyteller that I know. Uh, you can bring up just about any player that has played in the Bengals' history, and Lap will have a story about that player. So, my, some of my favorite Dave Lapham stories are not necessarily stories involving me and him, uh, but stories that he tells about his playing career or uh, guys that played for the Bengals during his broadcasting career. He tells a tremendous story from his playing days about the most ins- serious concussion that he ever sustained. Uh, I think they were playing the Cleveland Browns at the time. Uh, the Bengals quarterback threw an interception, and so Lapp is trying to make the tackle as the uh, guy that picked off the pass is running back in his direction. So he's closing in on this guy, and he got blindsided. He took a knee to the helmet, and he is you know completely concussed. He has no idea basically where he is. Uh, but back then, if you could come, if you could pass the very simple concussion test that they had at the time which might which might have been as simple as you know where are we cleveland all right good you can go back in the game uh you would go back in the game so he did and he plays out this game and he really has very vague memories about the rest of the game so uh they finished the game he's in the shower afterward and and anthony muñoz says hey lap i've got to ask you about some of those calls you were making on the offensive line, uh, were those dummy calls? Because you know those weren't even plays that we have in our offense. And uh, and Lap said, you know, really, I have no idea what you're talking about. I may have been calling out high school plays for all I know, uh, because I I really have very little memory about the, the second half of the game. And then the the trainer for the team at the time says, uh, Lap, when you get home tonight, I want you to have your wife, Lynn wake you up every hour during the course of the night and lap says to the trainer well you know wh- why would i do that and the trainer said well you know you've sustained a very serious concussion and uh if you know, if you have trouble waking up during the course of the night, that would not be good. (laughs) And and lap more or less says, well, then why did you put me back in the game? If it's, you know, if if I have to be woken up every hour during the course of the night or my health could be in jeopardy. Uh, but thankfully it was, uh, you know, it was serious, but not so serious that he had any sort of long-term effects and, uh, That's one of my favorite Dave Lapham stories, the story of his most most severe concussion.
0: What are some of your favorite things about Cincinnati?
1: Well, I grew up, as I mentioned, in a very small town, a rural community, uh, where we did not have the things that you have uh, that you can enjoy as a sports fan in Cincinnati or even somebody that uh, appreciates culture, so... In order to see a Major League Baseball game where I grew up, you had to drive several hours to get to Cleveland or to get to Toronto. In order to see an NFL game, you had to drive to Buffalo. And and those were not easy things to do. So as a a sports lover with a 14-year-old son who loves sports, to be able to hop in our car and drive 15 minutes, find a parking spot and go to a Cincinnati Reds game or for Sam and my wife to go to a Bengals game when I'm in the booth, uh, that is awesome. Uh, we have season tickets to FC Cincinnati, as I mentioned. We have season tickets to the uh, Broadway series uh, in Cincinnati, so my wife and I can enjoy these great shows that that come into town. And, and we'd love to go to the great restaurants in Cincinnati and all of that. So uh, to have all of that, such a short drive away, is wonderful. Um, I didn't know that much about Cincinnati until my wife got a job here first, and then I moved here, but it's an incredible city. It's a great place to raise our son, and uh, I just feel blessed that, that fate brought me here uh, because it was fate. I mean, first my uh, girlfriend gets a job here, then I'm lucky enough to get a job here, and then that leads to bigger and better jobs here, and uh, we don't plan on moving. I, I love living here, and I love the jobs that I have, so uh, we're blessed to live here.
0: What would you like to see in the future of Cincinnati for sports and media-wise?
1: Well, from a selfish perspective, I would love to see the University of Cincinnati wind up in one of those money conferences that we talked about earlier. I think that that's uh, important for the financial health of the university as it pertains to athletics. And I would like to see UC have the opportunity to compete Uh, to win national championships in football, which is easier to do in in one of those money leagues. Although, if college football expands to an eight-team playoff, which I think is probably inevitable, and one of those eight spots goes to one of the schools outside of the money conferences, then I do think UC will have a very legitimate path to potentially compete for a national championship, uh, which would be great. Uh, But that would be at the top of my list of things that I would like to see for Cincinnati sports uh, going forward. And in terms of uh, broadcasting or media, I just look forward to seeing, you know, more and more talented people come into this market and thrive here. Uh, since I've been working here, there have been a lot of great sports broadcasters that have been here and, and many continue to work here. I feel lucky to have uh, gotten to know Marty Brenneman as well as I know him uh, during the course of his broadcasting career. And uh, you know, one of the great things about our business is, is meeting other people that have a passion for it and are really good at it. And uh, I enjoy having those friendships from working here.
0: Now, there's something that I won't be able to ask any of my future guests down the line. You were in The Simpsons in the episode Dancing Homer. How did that happen?
1: Well, there was a character named for me in that episode. I do not appear in the episode. It's not my voice. But a friend of mine that I used to broadcast minor league baseball games with wrote the episode. It's in season two of The Simpsons where Homer becomes the mascot for the local minor league baseball team and during the episode there is a local minor league announcer you hear some of his play-by-play from the booth and when he signs on he says the name Dan Horde. so that show obviously has been in syndication now for many years and those repeats are on night after night after night somewhere And inevitably, at some point during the course of the year, I'll get a call out of the blue from somebody who will say, hey, I don't know if you know this, but I was watching The Simpsons tonight, and they said your name. (laughs) So, uh, yes, I am aware of that, and uh, that's been the case for a long time, and and I do get a kick out of uh, hearing getting those phone calls and text messages from people, even though that episode now, I think, is probably 30 years old.
0: It's one of the first few seasons of it, isn't it?
1: It's uh, season two. Wow. So that show has been on the air since the 1980s. Uh, so it's been a long, long time. That's one of the great things about uh, having an animated series. The characters never have to age. So uh, Bart is the same age now as he was then. And uh, that's allowed that uh, show to be successful for much longer than uh, a normal show can uh, can sustain itself
0: and your friend got to voice the character named after you and help get you into that episode. That's, that's a really cool story.
1: Yeah, it's great. And, uh, that friend Ken Levine has had a hugely successful career as a Hollywood screenwriter. Before I got to know Ken, he had written for mash and cheers. And since then he's written for many of the most successful TV shows in history. And he's gone on to direct many of those shows. And, uh, he also has uh, done a lot of, uh, writing for, uh, theater. That's really been his passion more recently. So, uh, it's been a great friendship and we remain in frequent, uh, contact and hopefully he'll have some, some great projects in the future as well.
0: Dan, for those that want to become sports broadcasters or in the field, what advice can you give?
1: The most important thing you can do if you want to get into this profession is to get hands-on experience. So if you are a youngster, a high school student or younger, and you aspire to getting into sports broadcasting, you need to try to go to a college that gives you the opportunity to get hands-on experience. Uh, I'm partial to Syracuse because it worked out great for me, and there have been a lot of prominent broadcasters that have gone there. But the reason why you can become successful as a Syracuse student is that they have two student radio stations and a student TV station. So there are a lot of opportunities to get hands-on experience. So even if you can't get into Syracuse or have no desire to go there, if you are a high school student looking for a college and you want to become a broadcaster, find one that gives you the opportunity to get hands-on experience. So that can be student radio, that can be internet broadcasting, Uh, anywhere where you can do games or do sportscasts or do talk shows, uh, because it can't be taught in a classroom. You need to get hands-on experience to develop your skills and develop your own style, and that is the single most important advice that I can give anybody uh, that aspires to get into this great profession.
0: And UC's got, I think, an internet radio station, and I've think outside football men's basketball all the sports are covered too so there's opportunities at Cincinnati as well
1: that is correct uh, it's called BearCast radio and uh, I've advised a lot of the students that have uh, gotten some experience there and that's a great example it doesn't necessarily have to be an on-air radio station anymore you can do it on the internet you can do it through podcasting there are a lot of ways to get hands-on experience and you need to take advantage of as much of that as you possibly can because, again, uh, th- there's a knack to being on the air, and it really can't be taught in the classroom. You can do some classroom projects that are helpful, uh, but you can't get enough experience strictly in a classroom environment. You need to get that hands-on experience any way that you possibly can.
0: I mean, you can't call it sports unless you see it with your own two eyes, so Absolutely. How can people follow your work and you on social media?
1: Well, the, the primary thing that I do on social media is Twitter. So my handle is Dan underscore Horde. Uh, I am on Facebook as well. You can find me easily by, easily by searching for Dan Horde. And I do have an Instagram account, uh, although I don't engage a lot on Instagram, uh, but I am on Twitter frequently. I have quite a few followers. So that would be the number one way to reach me. And again, it is Dan underscore Horde, H-O-A-R-D.
0: Dan, thanks for your time today. It's It's been a real pleasure having you aboard. And you got any final thoughts before we wrap up this episode?
1: Uh, not really, but I enjoyed it as well, Lee. Great questions. Uh, great uh, interacting with you. And uh, best of luck going forward with uh, your career.
0: Thank you, Dan. I appreciate that. And that will wrap up Episode 147 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. Thanks for listening, and talk to you again for Episode 148. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. To subscribe to the podcast, please visit theleewmowen.com slash podcasts. From there, you can choose your favorite platform, such as Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, TuneIn, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and many more. Interact with the podcast and host on Twitter at The Lee W. Mallon and at Cindy Pod. Like the Facebook page, The Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and download the free Flick Chat app, then search for the local Sunday sports group to submit your future Mowen's mailbag questions. The closing theme is Lights Go Down by Dan Hennig, provided by the YouTube Music Library Collection. This is Lee W. Mowen, and I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please join me again next week on the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast.